Hey everyone, I'm Rob Lee, and this is Beloved Journal. Each week, I sit down with one of my friends as we discuss what it means to love and be loved. I'm not talking about romantic love, but the kind of love that leads us to empathy, compassion, and grace. Things our world desperately needs right now. Hey everyone, um, today on the show we have the Reverend Dr. Uh, William H. Willimon. Uh, Bishop Willimon is the Professor of Practice of Christian Ministry at Duke University Divinity School. Um, he served for eight years as Bishop of the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church. Um, and for 20 years prior to uh, his election to the Episcopacy, uh, he was Dean of the Chapel and Professor of Christian Ministry at Duke University. Uh, Dr. Willimon is a graduate of Wofford College, Yale Divinity School, and Emory University. Um, on top of that, he's author of roughly 100 books, um, including one uh, that was selected as far back as 1979 as one of the 10 most useful books for pastors. Um, he's had over a million copies of his book uh, have been sold. And in 1996, uh, an international survey um, by Baylor University named him one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. Um, Bishop Wilmon is also someone who I consider to be um, a, a, a mentor. He was my advisor while I was at Duke. Um, I did my thesis on his work. Uh, some of his many books that he has written um, were made their way into my thesis along with video interviews that I did with him and his colleagues about what Will has given to the, the church and to the world. Um, I certainly am grateful for his presence in the life of the United Methodist Church, the church as a whole, and in my life as well. Um, today we hear an interview in which we talk about um, the necessity of confronting um, the realities that we face, but also trusting that God is also confronting those realities. Um, and, and it gave me a lot of hope, um, honestly. I was, I, I was really glad to hear from him. So let's listen in. Will Willimon, thank you so much uh, for coming on Beloved Journal. Glad to be here, Rob. Well, Will, you and I have a storied history. Uh, we've butted heads sometimes. We've agreed on a lot of things. Uh, one of the things I love about your work is that it's something that you wrestle with. Um, your 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 entire oh. book, all the books that I've read with you uh, and read from you, I've, I've wrestled with. Um, our society seems to be wrestling with something right now. Um, deep problems of race, of class, of creed. Um, how, where, where do you see all this from where you're sitting? How do you see it all playing out? Um, what are you seeing uh, with what you're doing? Well, uh, you know, you, you were around when I did the uh, Who Lynched Willie Earl book, and uh, that book was kind of my little attempt uh, from a white church perspective uh, to remember some of our history to repent of some of it, and, and also to call uh, fellow pastors, particularly those serving predominantly white congregations, to uh, preach about race and uh, racial violence and our history. So there is a sense in which recent days uh, that task has bubbled up again. I remember in the book... Um, I use the analogy of our racial, our white racial supremacy is kind of like toxic waste. 
um, we cover it over, but then stuff bubbles back up, and uh, we say, "Oh my goodness, uh, let's let's bury it again." And um, burying it in, is not really very helpful. So, well, when you served as bishop in Alabama. Uh, I remember you telling the story that kind of coincides with who lynched Willie Earl of, 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 of recognizing that your predecessor had received the letter from Birmingham jail. Um, and I think we're all kind of looking for those kind of those signs and symbols that, that will push us forward as a society, as a country uh, together, uh, recognizing that black lives matter. Um, you know, what are you seeing from not only your teaching at Duke, but going around the country or zooming around the country, if you will, um, <laughs> w- with your conversations with people. Yeah. Well, you know, wow. I, we, we've, we've had so many opportunities given us to be honest about race um, as Christians. And we have blown most of those opportunities uh, we've taken them sometimes, and we've been so hopeful, uh, only to realize, wow, we didn't get as far as we had hoped. Uh, here it is again. So I find myself at, at my age and stage, um, um, I don't want to use the word cynical, but at, at least cautious in thinking uh, when people say, oh, we've come to a turn in the road, this really is different. However, there have been some amazing things. I mean, a thing like the NASCAR uh, banning Confederate flags. Um, that was a surprise. I must say it wasn't a complete surprise, sadly, when Bubba uh, had the uh, noose uh, put in his garage. We've been down that road so many times, it's it's almost predictable. And uh, But then <laughs> we had the surprise of all the NASCAR, his fellow drivers and the pit crews and all marching. So we're in a time when uh, maybe uh, there is a turn in the road. And I think maybe, uh, gosh, it's embarrassing to admit this, but maybe the Trump years where, you know, um, our first kind of... um, exuberantly, openly racist, uh, mouthing president, uh, maybe that has pushed us uh, to say, wow, we we really need to talk. And maybe the, the Trump years have, will be seen as an opportunity when we had to, when our racism was exposed uh, and undeniable, and therefore we need to... Um, Repent. <laughs> Metanoia. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think you, since you so generously brought up the president, um, my wife and I were talking <laughs> about uh, you the other day, actually, Sorry. because we, we were – no, it's great. Uh, we, were, we were sitting there um, watching as Trump held up the Bible. Um, and, and my, you know, Stephanie and I were talking, and we were wondering, well, gosh, what does Will Wilmon think about this? So I'm going to put you on the spot. When you saw the president hold up that Bible in front of St. <laughs> John's Church after tear-gassing protesters, what, what was the first thing that ran through your mind? Well, I mean, you know, I, I probably shouldn't. I, I can't say that over a, 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 a civil interview like we're having <laughs> uh, to his Christian to Christian. 
Uh, no, I, you know, uh, what was it? A, a week or two before he said that he wanted all the churches open by Easter. And wouldn't that be wonderful? And I thought, boy, we have come to a new ebb when a person like Donald Trump can order the churches to be open and uh, say that he's looking forward to Easter. He who's probably celebrated very few Easter's in church himself. Uh, but but the Bible thing was it was it was just amazing. I I have said maybe our prayer ought to be Lord. Let Donald Trump be given free reign by his staff and family uh, to show who he really is. But uh, that stunt and walking across the church uh, to the church and holding up his Bible. I, I've been to that church and uh, wow, it I thought the bishop, the Anglican, the Episcopal Bishop of Washington, I thought just I was so thankful for her direct defiant, angry, I think faithful statement rebuking uh, him in, in doing that, that kind of thing. Uh, and, um, you know, he's not the first politician to kind of enshroud himself in the Christian faith, but the gap between who he is and what he does and how he's lived his life and uh, holding up the Bible is... Uh, is is just breathtaking. I must say, I'm not, I mean, it, it's no surprise to anybody that Donald Trump is a pagan, that he is uh, a, a scoundrel and, and all. Uh, to me, the greatest uh, sadness is there were actually Christian leaders who affirmed that stunt and said it was a, a wonderful thing. And uh, that, I think, is is what Christians ought to ponder. Uh, the Albert Mollers of the world, the Rusty Renos, the first things. The Christians who, uh, I've said to fellow Christians, uh, hey, okay, support Trump. Uh, we have a disagreement here politically, economically, militarily, national defense, whatever reasons you evoke. But please, I beg of you, don't drag Jesus into it. Don't don't in any way attempt to justify this on the fact that you're a Christian. And to say that I am supporting him because I'm a Christian, I just think there is going to be a huge price to pay for th that kind of stunt. So. Well, Will, let me ask you this. You know, you, you, to me first, you know, you have all these titles. You were Dean of Duke Chapel. You were a bishop. But to me first, I think you are a pastor. Um, you are you are a person who cares for people and guides people, and so I'm wondering. You know, I'm having these conversations with my fellow clergy people that are my age, uh, mid to late twenties, early thirties, who are wondering how do we pastor congregations in this divisive, polarizing, uh, almost cataclysmic kind of reality in which we don't, you know, you you if you you kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing, um, with how people are wanting clergy to act right now. They're either wanting you to fully embrace the notion of the presidency and, and what President Trump has to offer, or they want you to, to outright condemn him flatly, uh, you know, and then preach on that every Sunday. Well, um, one, I think, is that maybe it's part of being clergy, but I, I find that we, we clergy tend to um, 
we we tend to overemphasize uh, the problem, the tragedy, the difficulty of separations. You use the word polarity, division, uh, and hey, we're we're following a savior who, uh, you know, in Jesus Christ, God was reconciling the world and all. We like to be reconcilers and peacemakers and unity provokers. You think about so many of Paul's letters. That's a major theme in his letters about, hey, love each other. Get along together. Come on. You're in the church. Uh, having admitted that, I, I just think that maybe we're in a time, Paul also says in one of his letters, I hear their divisions among you, and I partly believe it. And it's a good thing, too, because divisions can show who's really on board and who's not on board and that kind of thing. So so I, I guess I would urge fellow clergy, um, we mustn't be too quick to heal those divisions. We must maybe say uh, the church has always had divisions and we've still got to go ahead and be the church. And you say that you have bitter disagreements with one another over various uh, contemporary issues or politics and all. Can we make Eucharist together? Can we come to the Lord's table together? Can we pray together? Can we listen to Scripture read and proclaimed together? Um, that's that's what the Lord requires. And um, I, I guess in the present moment, even though I have broken this uh, maxim myself on numerous occasions in recent days, you know, I think our job as preachers is to preach the Bible, to preach Scripture. And if um, I think we can say a lot of hard truth that might be received maybe a little better if our people believe, well, he's working from Scripture and he's telling us what he thinks the Scripture says. And I'm here because I think the Scripture is more important than he is or the church is or I am. So I'll listen and um, maybe even be convicted. So I, I guess... I'm a Bardian enough to say I, I think we we preachers have got to keep being attentive to Scripture. And I bet the more attentive we are to Scripture, the more clearly we will see political, economic, racial, social implications there. Well, so... You, you know, you mentioned the pastoring side of things, and we, we were kind of touching on that for a bit. But one of the things I think a lot of faith communities are struggling with right now is the idea of doing Eucharist together at a distance. Um, and I'm not going to argue with anybody about the merits of online communion or what people think about that. But I am curious about what you think the future of the church is in the sense of, you know, we're, we were already on our, you know, you and I have talked about this before. We were already on our last limb before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit, and you know <laughs> these institutions that we've all loved for so long seem to be on their last thread. I don't know. We're in a time when I think you know. I mean, I've just been listening to Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci doesn't know, and uh, what the future holds. I, I would say, I think we could go in a couple of different ways. One way we we might rediscover the wonder, the joy of being bodily present together. Uh, one of my friends who's been doing online worship since the beginning of the pandemic says, the main thing I've shown with virtual worship is it ain't worship. 
it ain't worship as Christians think of it. Christians need bodies. It's called the body of Christ, people. Uh, it's a meal. And uh, I've marveled at the way churches have tried to negotiate that and all. I'm afraid at the end of the day, we've just kind of shown that, hey, we, we tried to do our best during a difficult time, but I can't wait until we're all back together again as the body, till I can see you physically, till you can see me physically, till we can be materially bodily present, which is what Bonhoeffer said. That was the definition of the church. The church is the risen Christ taking up room, taking up space. So, um, or there's a possibility people might say, you know, I've been listening to church at home on Sundays and uh, I don't think I've missed that much and it's been kind of convenient and uh, so I may stay that way uh, and uh, so I guess I'm hoping that it'll be the former rather than the latter and I'm hoping that eventually we will be together but I bet we'll be together in a very different way <laughs> and the church is yet survived even through all our mess-ups and mishaps yeah. and mishaps that we had no control over. I think even though we don't know the future, as, as Preacher Slogan says, we do know who holds the future. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. I, I think, right, as you say, uh, the church is in God's hands. It's up to God to build a church. It's up to God to continue the church. And uh, as one of our prayers in the Book of Common Prayer says, he... God will do so into uh, eternity. And so um, the question is, what form will we take? I was talking to a young pastor, recent graduate, and he was saying uh, he's a very elderly congregation. He says half of his congregation has black lung disease from their work in the coal mines. He said it would be irresponsible for me to have face-to-face -face worship. Uh, within the next nine or ten months, I think. And he said, I'm not sure I'll have a congregation at the end of that. We were just, as you say, on our last legs. Um, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, but I might have to learn how to go out and start another congregation. <laughs> uh, and I said, oh, that's the spirit. Be evangelical. If... Um, if that form of church is dissipating, then we got to say, well, where is God gathering a people now? And, uh, you know, I'd be willing to bet that the church you're serving now, Rob, uh, I bet there are a lot of people who church had died for them. Uh, church had maybe wounded them so deeply uh, they wanted nothing more about it. Well, here they are. Uh, in this very different form of church. And in a way, it's a testimony to the uh, risen Christ. He's going to have a people. And if you people are so sorry in the way you form the church that you exclude others uh, or abuse others, uh, I'll just have to go out and start me a church where uh, that won't happen. So... So, so you you touched on one thing that I think is important to note right now, and you know the United Methodist Church has obviously put off a free year, um, whatever they're going to do with what, what people call it, so many different things I've lost track. Um, 
but I'm curious, you know, I, I had Bishop Oliveto, uh, Karen Oliveto on uh, earlier towards Easter, and she was talking about how this really laid bare, this pandemic has laid bare the values of the United Methodist Church because we're having to put off things that we thought we didn't care, we thought we cared a lot huh. about uh, huh. for other things. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering, you know, I, again, we can't predict the future, and that's a that's sometimes a, a futile effort, but what are your hopes for the people called Methodists? Because I do, I mean, I'm still very much invested in that, I, you know, reality. It was what was raised me yeah. and gave me life, you know, so. Well, I, I hope uh, we will keep on being true to the Wesleyan vision of church, of justification, linked to sanctification, of holiness, personal, social, and all. Um, I, I just don't know. Um, it will be interesting uh, I'm hearing from lots of pastors things like, you know, it's interesting. Some things I thought were so important three months ago. Well, I'll, I'll say as one of my friends said, uh, in in just a few weeks, that damn pandemic has ruined about a year's worth of my preaching. <laughs> he said all my sermons, which I talked about, finding joy in your marriage, uh, finding happiness in your daily work, uh, meaning in your life, he said, "We're all going to die." <laughs> it's people. There's massive death all around us. This they it, it, and maybe maybe the pandemic uh, might be an occasion God will use to drive us back to basics and to think, "Come on, people, uh, don't you think uh, the Methodist Church?" Um, it is is more important to you than to dissolve it over a couple of issues that we have found it hard to agree about, and um, maybe that'll happen. I think also just looking at the money end of it, uh, we've only had all these boards and agencies and general church and a very expensive, totally unproductive general conference meeting every four years. If that was not bad enough, we decided to have another expensive one in two years, and that was a disaster. Uh, maybe if the church gets to the point of saying, you know, those were great ministry ideas 10 years ago. We can't afford them now. Now we're being driven back to what's basic. Uh, maybe we can get along without the commission on the role and status of women. You know, maybe, may, maybe we can get along without a board of global ministries, uh, board of church and society, whatever. Um, so maybe it will be a time of, um, of, of kind of tightening our ranks or driving back to what is really basic. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. You know, the thing is, uh, when you worship in a God, like we meet in Jesus Christ, um, you get to these things in life and you think, uh, where are we? Uh, are we a good Friday? Is this death and the end of everything? Or are we at Holy Saturday where we're, we're just waiting quietly to see what happens, what God will do next? Or are we at Easter uh, where there's resurrection and rebirth? And so um, what's the future of the Methodist Church? I think it'll be in a sense... Whatever God wants it to be. 
And that's the typical Will Willimon answer, I feel like, oh. which I love. I've got Is that two a cop-out? Uh, yeah, no, no, it's not a cop-out. Uh, two yeah. more questions for you, and um, one's serious and one's not so serious, so we'll do the serious one first. Um, you know, 50, 60 years from now, when you're looking back on your life, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> when you're looking happen. back on your life, because uh, we yeah. can't lose you anytime soon, uh, but when you're, you know, 50, 60, 70 years from now, <laughs> what do you want it to be said of you as Will Willimon, the bishop, the dean, the preacher, the professor, the, the husband, the father, the everything? Whoa. You know, I think just that he tried to be true to his vocation, what God wanted him to do be a preacher. Uh, I've got subsidiary vocations of being a father and a husband and grandfather and all that. I'd like to do those well too, but yeah, I, I think in my memoir, uh, Accidental Preacher, I, I say this, I haven't been that certain of any many things in my life, absolutely sure, but um, I think my vocation to preach was one of them. And I say that in that it was not a welcome thing. It was painful in many ways, but I, I kind of felt, yeah, that's, that's it. That's me. So maybe I'd say that. I think that's a good answer. I like that. Final question for you, Bishop Willimon, when you are stuck in quarantine and um, you and Patsy are sitting there and you're turning on the TV, um, this is a question, first of all, that we ask every person who comes on this show. Oh, well, uh, good. From, from like Beto O'Rourke to you. So you're just, you know, oh, adding wow. to the list. Okay. Uh, what would you, what do you turn on when you watch Netflix? What are you watching right now on TV that's keeping you busy? <laughs> you know, um, we, we got Acorn through our local library that enables you to watch all things British. And, um, We've been on kind of a binge of of watching uh, uh, Agatha Christie. Okay, okay, there and, you go. Uh, there's a lot of past Agatha Christie, and I've wondered why. I mean, for one thing, it's irrelevant to anything um, that that's kind of going on in a in a sense, and it's good escape. But I think part of the lure is it's great to see something where. Uh, the wicked get what they deserve <laughs> and mrs marple figures it out who's wicked and you know we we seem to be in a time where you know a, a senate committee can't figure out when somebody's a crook or not uh, when the american public can't figure that out when some of our evangelical christian leaders can't figure that out uh and uh but buddy ms marple always figures it out and uh she names them there's always a revelation at the end, and everybody you think was a murderer that could have been a murderer isn't. And uh, so, anyway, that's well, what we're doing with Netflix. I am so glad that you're having that because that's an important thing to watch. So <laughs> have some downtime with all the busyness that I'm sure is still going on in your life. So, uh, Will Wilmon, thank Thanks, you, so, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. And um, as always, you were one of the great inspirations in my life, and it's always a joy to talk to you. Uh, thank you. Hey, Rob, you know, I notice over your left shoulder, you've got a fire alarm. Yes. And you've got a thing that says, pull here. Yes, that's my escape pod at the church. Oh, They're I wonder what, yeah, uh, that is so cool. Uh, it, it, it's made me kind of more relaxed talking to you to know that 
at any moment during this interview, you can just say just a moment and turn around and pull that fire lever and right. Everything yeah. stops. And, and, and you yeah. know, it's one of those things too, Will, that I didn't have that at class at Duke, like, you know, Brent Murphy, Joe Robbins and all of us, we had to sit there and listen. Now <laughs> I've got a lever to pull. So yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I'll well, tell Brent and uh, Joseph, you said that. Thank yeah, you. Well, you do, do do that. You take care my friend. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. Beloved Journal is produced by Stephanie Lee and hosted by Rob Lee. Our theme music is by Mipso, the best band in the world. Connect with us on belovedjournal.com, and if you like what you heard, tell someone about it.